well, here we are walking around in the fire, getting hot. Our legs are burning up, uh, the, our knees, but it's rising up to the rest of our bodies. So we're getting hot. Peter Thomas, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. What a what a perfect visual, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nice and toasty in the fire this morning. And hey, why did the comedian burst into flames? I think I know the answer, but I don't want to say it. <laughs> say it, Jay, because I'm not going to. Jokes to fire. Because he was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. Um, double meaning pun. You get the literal burst in the flame because of fire and because he was so funny. Yep. <laughs> well, to our listeners, welcome in. Uh, we're happy to have you here. Today we have a, a good topic in store. Before we get started, I want to say... Um, if you want to reach out and contact us, you can. Uh, we have an email address, 3inthefire at gmail.com, number 3inthefire at gmail. And then we have an Instagram page. Thomas, what's our Instagram page? In the Fire Podcast. That is it. Spelled yeah. exactly how it sounds. No tricks there. Uh, we don't want to trick you into contacting us. We want you to be able to freely. So. And remember, that is fire with an I and not a Y. <laughs> yes, that's the tricky part here. <laughs> so there was a trick. But we'd love to hear from you. So please re- please get in touch. Yeah, for something you want us to talk about, you just want us. <laughs> you could literally just say, hey, and we will respond and we will have a conversation. <laughs> it will be one of the three of us. Or it could be all three, depending on how long the conversation goes. So you never know what's going to happen if you do that. Mm, um, true. But on to bigger and better things today. We're going to be taking a look back to the Old Testament, uh, the book of Second Samuel, and then we'll mingle in some Psalms as well. And the topic for today is a heavy one. One of the better known uh, stories of the Bible better known occurrences in the Bible. Um, it's a greatest sin with the S in parentheses because there are several that come up here and several over the course of his life. We're just going to take a look at one big instance here. If you're thinking is, you probably do. Um, this is the story of David and Bathsheba and Uriah. So, yeah, uh, not the most fun time. I wanted to look at, I think. So to, to set the stage, his life, and he's kind of building his power. I don't know if he's necessarily at the height of his power right now, but he's getting there if he's not. Uh, he's, he's probably, if you look at the Bible as a whole, he's a very, very much a precursor to Jesus. So he's probably about the closest thing that we see to Jesus in the Bible without actually being Jesus. Um, yet even David's role in that capacity, as we'll read today, he falls woefully and incredibly short of living a Christ-like life. Um, throughout his life before this, he's a very admirable individual. Uh, he's, he lives courageously, patiently, mercifully, and he's rewarded for that. He's rewarded for that patience. Um, God is with him. God calls him a man after God's own heart. Um, but David is fully human. And like the rest of us, he is imperfect, as we are about to see. Yes, indeed, we are about to see that. <laughs> so without further display. ado, I'm going to uh, send it over to Thomas. Give us a reading of Second Samuel chapter eleven, verses one through six. All right. Second Samuel chapter eleven, verses one through six. In the spring of the year, yeah, sorry. in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites. They besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. 
happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of his king's house. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to the house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And that was that. And that was that. And then we're going to go ahead and, and read the second chunk of, of verses here. And Peter, I'll flip to you for this. Uh, it will pick up about five to six verses later in Second Samuel 11. Now verses 12 to 17, and then tack on 26 to 27 as well. All right. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah, Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And that evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of, the, servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die. So it was, while Joab besieged the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew they were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. And then verses 26 and 27. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Yes. That last sentence there in my Bible I have underlined from some time ago, and I wrote, well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny, I was reading that's the first time in this chapter that God is mentioned at all. Um, that last sentence and then we'll pick huh. up in the next chapter where we hear um, But it kind of shows his choice in this chapter. And God is more or less watching over everything and seeing what's happening. But he'll do this, and God isn't stopping him from doing it. So, you know, that's the only place to start. Um, mm. But we're going to look back at. Uh, the opening six verses here. Um, does anything stand out to you guys immediately? Jumping off the page at you for what we. Um, one of the things I find interesting here is that uh, David was supposed to, and he usually is in battle with his army um, as he was the, just at the end of the very last chapter against the Syrians when they're in battle. Um, but he disobeys God um, even before Bathsheba by taking his focus off God and his army and just remaining in Jerusalem, which sort of opens the door for this opportunity of sin that transpires. Um, and so you can kind of see, I think, you know, that the state of David's heart and mind, again, opens the door to conceding to this mm -hmm. temptation, to keeping his sight on Bathsheba. Um, and then... I guess, acting upon those lusts and impulses. Yeah, I think bringing up the state of David's heart, um, and this is important, and that's important context for it. That, you know, he normally goes out to battle, but here he's, and, and um, if I'm correct, that's kind of like, his, that's his duty as king, and that's the duty that God has given him. You know, be with your people, be with your army as they go and fight. And he's choosing not to, in another way, David's heart is in a very place for the specific situation because throughout his life, um, this is, I mean, not this exact occurrence, but this is kind of a common theme for David. He has, uh, as he becomes in the time, but say that it was correct to do it. He had, I don't know the number of wives specifically had. 
Um, I'm sure it's listed somewhere, but many. <laughs> he had many yes. of them. Um, so he was very much, um, <laughs> he liked the ladies, he will say. Um, <laughs> technically, yes, he did marry them, but that is, as we know in the Bible, uh, counter to what God's word teaches. Um, and David is warned about that, I think, at a couple points, you know, it comes to him like, hey, God saying, hey, you shouldn't have this many wives. That's a problem. But David continues. So his son, Solomon, even has like a thousand of them. So, you know, he takes it to another level there. <laughs> but David has plenty, which kind of opens the door again for the state of his heart in this specific spot. And this is something that he struggles with. And, you know, despite his, the admiral qualities that David has, this is an issue for him. Here we see this issue really coming to a head. Yeah. So Bathsheba is uh, David's eighth wife. Okay. So <laughs> only eight at this point. There's going to be more, I think. <laughs> um, and of course, he has, he has numerous concubines as yeah. as kings had in, the, in, in that day. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting because... All the kings of Israel always have more than one wife. And then, but like, they know that they're not supposed to have more than one wife because it says so in like traditional Jewish law. But due to the politics of the time, you just have to take on more than one wife in order to have like have treaties with other countries and have them marry in and stuff. So it's, he's playing the world's game, not God's game here. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, and for me reading this, you know, you look at David himself, and I think, you know, for someone who has his heart really set fully on God, um, which is to say that God is able to be, David is very in tune with what God asks of him and with what God throws at him and confronts him with, and when God is speaking to him, David of that and that is why he is this man after God's own because throughout his life he's been that way you know he goes through a lot of difficulty but when God speaks to him and explains it to him or shows him hey maybe this is why this is happening he is incredibly receptive to what God is doing in his life um, but despite that I think this just shows the pure human of David. And this is a moment of perhaps a time to humble David greatly. Um, mm -hmm. And to, to no one's surprise, I mean, we're all terribly imperfect people and it takes one moment, despite the um, issues that David had in his life leading up to this, it takes really that one moment and that's all it takes to, I mean, this could have completely ruined his entire life he skirted around it as we read and he didn't get away with it but he in the eyes of the world he probably did um, so he was kind of lucky in that sense but you know this is something that really could have thrown things way off and for the rest of his life this continues to play a role because we'll read in chapter 12 when we look through that how God deals with this and, and what he what he does to David as a result. And David faces the consequences of this sin for the rest of his life. And they are not good consequences. They are not good at all. Um, so he gets what he deserves out of it. Um, but this, you know, the positive qualities of everything before this chapter, we see just one quick moment it happens in a couple of verses where everything shifts in his life. So it, that's a lesson to take away. Yeah, he does. He does need some humbling. And you think of the many things that God has given David and put him in this position of power because he is a man after God's own heart. Uh, but then he starts to let these, these sins um, sort of creep in and he wants to indulge on them. And, I think, you know, he does need that humbling. And I think another thing that sticks out to me in these 
in the, in these chapters are um, just the abuse of the power that God has given him. Um, yeah. It's it, it's uh, kind of sad to see how he um, uses the resources as king, his tremendous resources, sends his servants out um, to help get that Sheba to David so that he can sleep with her. Um, and then also he uses, um, what's the name? Joab. Uh, Joab. Joab is going to f- follow the orders of his king. So he uses Joab to send Uriah out into battle to die. Um, so it's sad that he takes these powers that God has given him and then abuses them in such a way that he can um, selfishly act upon his sin. And it is obviously, um, obviously terrible events that happen and he needs to suffer the consequences and we see that he does. Um, but yeah, that's just something else that, um, that stuck out for me. It's very bad. And then, uh, we'll continue on to the next section here, which is Hang where, on a minute. Oh, you got I something to add more. in? I got one more thing to add here. Go ahead. Um, Sorry, Peter. Did you just talk about verse four? Verse four, not specifically. Hold okay. on, I'm pulling up verse four. Oh, I just mentioned that, like he uses his power as king with his messengers. Um, mm, yeah. Okay. To, to yeah, to go make this happen. Yeah. So, um, I I ver- the the end of like verse four kind of like sticks out to me that they added now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness um that was typically uh common common ritual when a woman is not pregnant and she is menstruating after that you need to go through a a cleansing process but i think it's kind of ironic how like she had just finished being cleansed and then she commits adultery um and dave david David does too. They're both at fault here. Um, however, if she had refused David, she was probably under fear of death because David is king. Right. Yeah. Um, which is important to note. Um, but it's it's kind of like, oh, she had just been purified and now like defiled again. Um, and this led to a child, which is very unfortunate. <laughs> yes, it did. Um, the which things get right there. worse. Which, yes. which is the cause for the rest of this whole debacle. Yeah. But yeah, um, it's just, yeah. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for noting that, Thomas. And yeah, there is responsibility on both sides of this, I would say. But David is the one who very much coerces um, Bathsheba into this act largely because he's king and then if your king says hey come on over to my palace what are you going to do and we'll see the same thing with Uriah and we'll see see the same thing with Joab as Peter mentioned Uh, abuse of power is very evident here Um, so we'll jump ahead to the next section here which is where David kind of multiplies this and makes it worse in between there David we saw he calls Uriah back home from battle and what David does at that point before we picked up again is he talks to Uriah and essentially says, Hey, come home and relax for a little bit. Uh, go be with your wife. Thinking that, Hey, he and his wife will get together. And then that can explain the wife's pregnancy. And he's fine. David's like, okay, that's a good way out of this. But Uriah essentially refuses to do that. But instead kind of says, well, all my, all my buddies, all my fellow soldiers are out fighting. So I'm not going to come back and uh, enjoy myself. I'm going to, you know, I'll be with you, David, but then I want to go back to battle. So he refuses to even go see his wife, um, which you can think because, you know, they're out fighting. That's where he wants to be. So he's he's very innocent in all of this. Um, he even enjoy himself when he comes back home because he knows that he should be fighting in battle, which is also where David should be. Yeah. But we're going to pick up. Verses 12 to 17, 26 to 27. This is where David uh, makes his, his sin worse. And again, I think it points out to us it is, you know, you have you sin very terribly. 
Um, we all sin, but it's so easy to make that worse and worse, to try to cover it up, to try to explain for it, to try to get away with it, um, to try to justify it. And David, this is just him trying to get away with all of it. And he, I think this is making it so much worse. Um, this is where the story gets very sad, kind of my, in my opinion. David sending Uriah out essentially with an order to be killed. It's tough. You know, you're sitting here reading it as a spectator and you're like, oh, David, did you really have to do this? Like, come on, this is, this is not good. Um, but I think what David's not seeing here is um, the, the bigger picture, I guess. Um, I think when, especially with, I mean, this is for any sin, but I think it rings true, especially with sexual immorality. You don't often see the larger consequences of the sin you want. And again, it's for all sin. You want that immediate gratification, I guess. And it's very nearsighted what the sin is and what the sin does to you. Um, so I don't think he envisions it going even further and further. But when he does, again, he just continues to snowball and compound his sin and making these uh, nearsighted decisions one after another in an attempt to escape from it. But again, he's missing the bigger picture that you can't really hide and you can't at all hide. Um, and this is kind of what he's, he's trying to hide his sins from Uriah and, and maybe God too, but it's just, it's just sad. Mm -hmm. I think yeah, you very I'm... clearly see David switch from, you know, a hero. This is, this is the fall of a hero. In these in these chapters, he's a hero in Israel in every respect, um, and now you see him turning into a villain. Movie, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And here it's it's kind of interesting because, um, oh, what was I going to say? That's sad. I lost it. Oh, it's gone. Get it back. Get it back. I'm trying. Yes. I'm trying. <laughs> um, we su we summon those thoughts back to you, Thomas. <laughs> ah, it's just it's not coming. Um. Oh wait, no, it's back. I found it. Yes. So I, I <laughs> it kind of makes me me laugh here because it. it, it it's the situation is very similar to like a child lying to their parent and then having yeah. to like cover it up <laughs> and like, Oh, this is the fastest and the quickest way to cover it up. I'm just going to do that. And then it actually makes it easier for the parent to <laughs> see what you have done. <laughs> and like David calling Uriah back and then, being like, all right, now, like, get drunk and then, like, go be with your wife. So, like, you know, so, like, the kid will be yours, technically. Yeah. Um, and it's, just, it's, it's the quickest way out of it, and it doesn't work because Uriah actually has the honor that David has lost at this point. David has been king for a while. He has been winning for a while and he's like, well, I don't need to be there anymore. And this is, this can happen without me. I'm just going to facilitate it. I'm going to delegate. And because of that, he, he's grown complacent and he has been sitting in his palace and he is, he knows his position and he's, he's let him, himself be like, see, he sees himself as greater than the people he's ruling. At least that's kind of what, what I'm seeing here. And that has led him down this path. And what's very interesting, well, I think, well, we'll get to it, never mind. But, um, but yeah, so it's kind of like his own complacency in his, in his own personal worldly power has led him to exercise his power over Bathsheba and then led him down a terrible rabbit hole of trying to cover it up and scrambling. It's a slippery slope, and David uh, never mm. takes the time to try and stop himself. And, you know, you read this and you wonder, 
I mean, you know that at some point, <laughs> several points throughout this, David is thinking, okay, this is wrong. I should stop this now. Um, but he carries on, he keeps going. And, you know, that's that corrupt flesh, that corrupt human nature that is you know, encouraging him and to keep going on and it's his own mind and his own, you know, the, the evil that's in his heart at this point. Um, and it's just pushing him forward and pushing him forward and he continues to give in. Uh, and I think there's some level of guilt and shame that David has, I'm sure, and we'll see some of that. Um, you know, you read this and you think, David, stop. <laughs> yeah. But in the heat of the moment, it's he can't. He can't bring himself to stop. Yeah, I, I like what you said, Thomas, about the like a, a kid lying, I think, <laughs> and just trying to cover it up and cover it up. I think we can relate to this story in some way um, because of that, whether it's lying or any other sin you try to cover up. Um, you can see, you can kind of relate to David here when he's going on this one thing after another, trying to cover it up. You're like, oh, David, this is not going to end well. We've all been in a, a situation maybe not the exact same as this but mm -hmm. another sinful situation where we try to um find find the easiest way out or find a way out to cover it up and it doesn't work yeah it's the shame the shame of the sin makes you want to cover it up and hide it away and not take responsibility for what you've done yeah it's like adam and eve um Mm. There, I feel like the act was a little more simple, <laughs> eating the apples, but here it's a little more involved on David's part, a little more intricate in how he tries to get away with it. Um, but still, it's that one moment for David, it was the temptation or for both of them. It's, it's temptation for Adam and Eve. It was literally one bite out of a piece of fruit. And look at the consequences of those actions. <laughs> um, <laughs> it doesn't get doesn't get more uh, consequential than that. And it's the same kind of thing for David here. One mm. out of the fruit of temptation, and suddenly his life is going to change big time. Um, and unless we have anything to add, we'll go ahead and get to how that happens. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, well, I will read this section. It's just going to be 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. Then the Lord, this is, a, this is pretty soon after, immediately following in these verses. Then the Lord sent, David, sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. It grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And the traveler came to the rich who take from his own flock and from his one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man! Exclamation point. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little... I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity <clears throat> against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 
And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall shortly die. Then Nathan departed to So, come of, of all of it. It's a bad outcome. Um, yeah, David. This is <laughs> <laughs> punishment. And you can even you can look at that and ask, okay, David did all this. Is this even enough to punish him with? Um, for the terrible actions that he did. And, clearly God doing it. God believes this is a just way of handling the situation. And it's all true. Um, What Nathan says will become of David's house. All of that does happen. Uh, And it it happens uh, pretty quickly in some regards. And for the rest of David's life, you know, his his house, his sons uh, fight against each other. You know, they die. They, it's, it's, uh, it gets difficult. And as Nathan predicted, um, it's a tough go of it from here on out for David. Hmm. That it is. I, I, this is like one of the, one of the more classic mic drop moments of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. That where like Nathan comes in, he's like, Hey David, I have a story for you. <laughs> David's like, kill this man. And Nathan's like, it's you. And everybody, I kind of imagine like everybody in the court's like, oh, what? And because like David has lived a very like socially clean life <laughs> up until yeah. this point. Um, which is probably why he was so eager to hide this sin and so shameful of it. Um, but it's it's like important to note that you will, you can never hide your sin; it will always come out, and it will always it will always <laughs> seek you. <laughs> the only the only way to to hide from sin is in the glorious hiding place that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Yeah, that's uh, perfectly said. And I think the story that Nathan tells, um, and it's a little confusing reading it, but essentially there's a rich man and a poor man. The rich man has a lot. The poor man has one cute little lamb. And the traveler comes to the rich man. The traveler comes to the rich man, and I guess is going you know, to dine with him and, and stay with him. And the rich man doesn't want to dig into his hordes of riches, so he takes this one poor guy's cute little lamb, and he kills that lamb, so that the traveler and the rich man can enjoy it together. Um, and it's different different characters but it's the same thing that happens with David and Bathsheba and Uriah um, I think it, it points out the hypocrisy that our sin brings you know the idea of I, where, I can't remember exactly where it is um, where Jesus is talking about you know take the plank out of your own eye before the sliver of wood out of another's and, and David here is you know he turns a blind eye to his own sin and when confronted with his sin in a different kind of context, he says, oh, that's terrible. This man should be put to death. Um, he's talking about himself right there. So be careful, David. <laughs> yeah, I think this chapter is, it's here and Nathan is here because David, he has to come to terms with his sin. He has to be personally convicted of and infuriated with his sin. Um, and like you said, remove the log in your own eye. First, um, he needs to uh, give him give a look in the mirror and come and take blame for himself for what he's done. Um, and obviously, in the previous chapter, he didn't do this when he just tried to sweep it under the rug, send Uriah back to uh, Bathsheba, and then when that didn't work, kill Bath or kill Uriah. Um, and so he was 
don't know, just turning away from it, ignoring it. Um, but eventually he has to become aware of the sin. And that's why I think God sends Nathan uh, to David through, through the story and through telling him the story of the lamb, which obviously isn't a direct, um, a, it's more of a parable. Obviously you can see the connection and then I kind of find it kind of find it kind of funny um, in contrast to some of the parables in the new Testament where <laughs> Jesus is a little ambiguous and you kind of have to pick up on the meaning and where you see yourself in the story <laughs> here. There's just that big mic drop moment that you said, Thomas, where Nathan's just like, you are that man <laughs> who's, who's uh, committing all these, um, who's committing the sin. And, and yeah, it's a, it's a process. David goes on to come to terms with the sin, but um, it's a, Nathan plays a very important role in helping David get there. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I think, David David's reaction here really it shows that he knows what is righteous mm-hmm. as well. Like he knows what he did was wrong, unrighteous. He's he's shameful. He covers it up. Nobody else knows. Nathan comes in, he sh- tells him a story of an unrighteous man. He's like, "This man is unrighteous. Get him." And he's like, "Ah, oh, no, it's me." <laughs> it's like I did not successfully cover it up because <laughs> the Lord sees all, and yeah, it, I think it's important to note that he that David still knows what is righteous and he knows what he did was wrong. Yeah, and when confronted fully with it, I mean, it's hard to credit David a lot for what's going on, but to his credit, I mean, verse thirteen in response, it's a very simple. You know, he's hit with the full weight of everything he's done. I have sinned against the Lord. Mm-hmm. And we'll flip to Psalm 51 after this, which directly ties into this chapter. It's what David wrote, you know, when this happened. But his heart is still open to God. And, you know, he, he doesn't turn away entirely. And I think you can differentiate a little between David here and someone like Saul in First Samuel, who sins greatly and, and dis depths of sin very rapidly but you know his his slippery slope key never stops to turn back david here you know awful but when he's confronted with it he's he manages to stop right there and and realize what he's done um and take the punishment that he's given because he knows he deserves it. Uh, yeah. So that's him being, him being humbled. Um, and as a King, I'm, it's a hard pill to swallow, I guess. I mean, you see world leaders today, they don't want to fess up to things that they do, but here it gets to the point, you know, after um, God confronts David through Nathan and this story, um, it gets to the point where, you know, David eventually, you know, he comes to terms and yeah, that line, I have sinned against the Lord. is very direct. And, um, you know, he accepts what he's done. Yeah. yeah. And Nathan's response to that, you know, the next sentence, uh, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And it says, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. But, you're going to face the consequences of it, but he's David is forgiven entirely. Mm -hmm. And God does this for all of us all the time. And how lucky are we? And especially looking at David, because in the following chapters of the following books of the Bible, after David dies and after Solomon dies and, and Israel kind of descends into bad, bad, very long time period of leadership for Israel and Judah, it splits up and, and for both kingdoms, you see a lot of evil kings and a lot of points in, you know, the following books, of the Bible, the history of Israel, where God is essentially saying, okay, you keep the, your kings are continuing to be evil. I'm just going to leave you, Israel. And that's going to be it. But then he says, but because of your servant, because of my servant, David, I'm going to keep my covenant with Israel. So even though David sinned so terribly and he does some other things later and 
in this book um, that are instances of bad sin. But despite all that, God is keeping this covenant. His forgiveness is so much greater than it needs to be in saying, David, I know you sinned, but I'm going to forgive you. And because I'm forgiving you and because I love you so much, despite this, my covenant with you is going to last much longer than just you. Um, so his love for David, his love for all of us is enough to cover an eternity of sins, you know? Mm. So his forgiveness is just so great. And that I think is probably the biggest takeaway of all of this is David's sin is terrible, but God's forgiveness is exponentially greater than even the terribleness of the sin. Definitely. And it's cool that look this part isn't cool it's not cool that his that Bathsheba's firstborn died um but it's interesting to think that the David's successor Solomon is from Bathsheba yeah um as like his eighth wife you know a lot of the time I think it's usually like the firstborn <laughs> from the first wife um who is the successor but it is actually Solomon. So from the the very from the adulterous relationship that David had, early, actually post post marriage not so, but started with adultery. So you could argue that it was. Um, it's like that. It's almost it's weird how like it almost gratifies that. I feel like, but I think you can also chalk that up to. David being forgiven mm-hmm. of his actions because he had true repentance here. Yeah. I think, yeah, the forgiveness aspect is the most, it's the most important takeaway from this. And um, the forgiveness aspect in terms of the nature of who God is. And that is um, obviously he's, God is righteous and just and he can't exist with sin so he's going to deal with david's sin he's not just gonna um let it go he does punish him but he still forgives him freely um and puts away the sin and david did not die because of the sin and i think that just shows the loving nature of god and then we see it even further through jesus and ultimately through jesus um and that God maintains that righteousness and justice while still showing mercy to those who have faith in Jesus. Um, and that's really the good news and the most beautiful thing of it all. And that it, through the story, you can see um, actually the loving, but also just nature of God. Yeah. And Jesus is going to come from the line of David. So um, again, the God's forgiveness is enough to even continue that thread. Mm-hmm. Uh, well we still have time we're going to flip ahead and, and look in the book of psalms here um, happen at a ton of point in psalms and a lot of these are historically drawn back in biblical scholars of do it but this is one psalm where the title of the psalm actually tells us specifically when david wrote this and psalm 51 was written when nathan the prophet went to david after his affair with bathsheba so we actually know exactly when it is. And I'm sure there's a reason that we know exactly when it is. Um, but I'll go ahead and read this and we'll at least read through it and maybe hit a couple highlights. Um, but it's a good place to end, which is, you know, this is a prayer of what very true repentance looks like, I think. Um, so Psalm 51, 19 verse, it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me know to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. Clean Wash me and I will be and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. 
hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, you do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your pleasure to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Mm. <laughs> I mean, what more is there to say? <laughs> yeah, it's a good psalm. It really is. I like how um, it's David's not talking about what he can do himself, um, and that it's like his. Or he's, yeah, he's just not talking about um, like, oh Lord, I'm going to turn away from these sins. And no, he's asking God, God to blot out his transgressions, to wash it. It's so many things that, um, like, it's all about God and what God does. And David realized the importance of having God on his side and realizes the immense love and just beauty of having a relationship with God. Um, and he, I really like verse eight when he says, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Um, and there are several verses throughout here that are, I mean, pretty much every verse in here is great. Um, but yeah, I really like how, you know, David just, in humility coming to God saying how great God is and asking him to forgive him and purify him because um, having God is, is the ultimate treasure. And David realized the importance of that and just wants to be close to God. Definitely. He takes ownership over his sin here and he's like, I did it. I can't clean myself. I need you to clean me. And he's, he, he sacrifices to the Lord and he puts himself back in his place, which is below the Lord. <laughs> God is God and he is not. Yeah. And I think full recognition of that, David, it's recognizing um, the only way he's going to be cleansed of this sin is because God will forgive him. So he's asking, begging for that forgiveness and also saying, you know, I'm going to change my life because of this, you know, create me a clean heart. He's asking for that forgiveness and he knows that's the only thing going to change him. I think you also get a sense of him recognizing uh, judgment here and acknowledging his transgressions and uh, acknowledging God's power over the situation. He's accepting what God has just ruled and what's going to happen. And you almost get a sense like if God had told him, through Nathan, because of this sin, you will die. They would have accepted that. Um, now, what's worse, <laughs> I, I don't know what he thought would be worse, whether dying as a result or everything that's going to happen in his life after, which we don't have time to get into. Um, one son killing another, one son doing terrible things to one of his daughters. I mean, it's... Mm. Things like that are what happens in this continued war for David that he has to deal with. Uh, David himself is chased out of power um, all because of this sin. And he accepts that, um, even though it's a tough thing to David is recognizing A, God's ability to forgive as the only one who can forgive, and then also God's righteousness and justice. Take away. <laughs> we should. Yeah, I think that's well said. Well, uh, if you're listening, I know we didn't add it one, but I'd say read through that a couple times. Um, so actually, I had the idea for 
for this episode because I was going to do one looking at different prayers throughout the Bible and looking at how we can learn from those and how we can pray. And this was one that I came across and I thought, oh, you know, let's just take a look at that whole situation. Um, so this is a good example, I think, of a prayer, you know, of, of confession and of asking for forgiveness and, um, you know, admitting our sins to God. I think this is a good template to follow. Um, so yeah, if you're, if you're a listener, take some time through that chapter, Psalm 51, read through it after we're done here. But for the time being, I want to make sure you guys have nothing else to add before we finish up. I do not. Very good topic. I'm glad we, yeah, spoke, focused on this specific story because it reveals a lot about God and ourselves. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in the great words of Jeff Probst, I got nothing for you. Head back to camp. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that note, I'll say a quick prayer here. Dear Lord, thank you for joining us in the fire again um, and for always joining us in the fire, no matter where we are, God. Um, and I thank you, you know, one thing that we, we learned today, I thank you for your incredible and you know undeserved forgiveness that you give us we may not do exactly what david did here but we are all guilty of of selfishness and pride and and sin and of trying to make our sin or trying to cover it up and and ultimately making things worse and i pray that um you would uh, continue to forgive us of all that and then we would continue seeking that forgiveness and continue continue to respond to that God. I thank you for your constant um, love and protection over us, despite that sin, dating all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, but for the covenant you established with David and kept and the covenant that you keep with us, God. We thank you for all of that, and we thank you for the chance to talk together today. And thanks for our listeners, too. Your name, amen. 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 Cool. Well, again, Get in contact with us. Email uh, three in the fire at gmail.com, number three in the fire. Instagram in the fire podcast. Peter and Thomas, uh, pleasure to be with you guys again here. And I look forward to this week. Halloween, a Halloween episode next week. Ooh. Yeah. It <laughs> should be fun. Yes. All right. Well. I will see you guys next week. All right. Until then, everyone, enjoy your day and enjoy your week.